I'm Dan Masterson, host of Strategy Talk, where we take a unique view of world events. We report news as history. With me today is the editor of StrategyPage.com and well-known military author, Jim Dunnigan. Associate editor and syndicated columnist, Austin Bay, also joins us. Welcome, Austin and Jim. thought we'd spend a little bit of time talking about the status of the U.S. military. It's been in the press that President-elect Trump wants to rebuild it, I think is the phrase they use, uh, his campaign uses. Jim, is the U.S. military in need of being rebuilt? Has it crumbled or, uh, you know, had problems during the Obama administration as, prop, as keeping up to where it needs to be? Well, it's had two problems. Uh, one of them, I think everybody will agree on, there's been a shortage of money for training and readiness. Uh, this is because, A, the defense budgets have shrunk uh, since uh, <laughs> since uh, al-Qaeda was defeated in Iraq in, in 2008. Of course, that eventually morphed into uh, ISIL, which that's another story. But anyway, the um, uh, and then there's the sequestration which was uh, the result of a, uh, a, a showdown, as it were, uh, between the president and Congress over, you know, uh, reducing the budget and uh, the deficit, as it were. But anyway, the, uh, the impact on the military as a whole has been there's less money for maintenance and training. Now, the training thing is very important because that's been our edge, uh, you know, since the all-volunteer force came into effect in the uh, 1970s. Um, and uh, from what I've been hearing from people inside, Noss has probably been hearing some of this too, um, it's had a real bad impact on a lot of units. Uh, that's why we're depending so much more on the special forces, because they have not been cut. I mean, we've actually been reporting on this. We try and make it as, as, as non-sleep-inducing as possible, as one can do when discussing military budgets and training and what have you. Um, but uh, that's that's a real impact that can be turned around by you know changing the money. Now the other problems are more political, shall I say? Not in the sense of Democrats, Republicans, you know what have you, but it's more about the uh, you know Eisenhower warned when he left in uh, 1960 that you know the military-industrial complex. Well, of course, as we reported, that's that's evolved into the military-industrial-congressional uh, complex, whereas uh, the military wants certain things they feel they need, but then industry, you know, wants a basically colludes with the Congress uh, to basically get what Congress needs to get more votes. Uh, and this is not necessarily to the benefit of the troops. Now, uh, again, we have we have discussed this uh, in in strategy page, and it's a very difficult problem to solve. I don't know if. Uh, if, if, if Trump and his allies will be able to do it, uh, but simply throwing more money at, in the defense budget will not solve these these endemic problems. I mean, I don't know if we can go on at length, um, uh, since he used to work for the Navy, about the uh, the shipbuilding fiascos. Now, we, again, we've reported on that a lot. I've got a lot of help from Al um, and other friends inside the Navy or, or retired from it. And the basic problem is the Navy is is unable to control the quality uh, of its uh, shipbuilding. Uh, it can actually it has a hard time controlling the the quantity because uh, you know uh, you basically have to satisfy Congress. Now that's the Constitution. We should not mess with that. But the problem is 
the military has a has has real difficulties in getting what it needs and 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 instead getting a lot of stuff it doesn't need. And of course, with the shipbuilding, it's just bad management. Uh, you've got untouchable shipbuilding companies, which have a basically a uh, a monopoly on American uh, warship manufacturing. Uh, they spend a lot of money on what they call marketing. It's basically spin control to basically do damage control when they have another fiasco, which clearly, you know, uh, comes back, you know, to the manufacturer. The Navy gets yelled at a lot because basically it's their responsibility. But as Al has explained it in the past, uh, <laughs> got a lot of agreement on this when he was on the staff at the, uh, at Navy, uh, War College. Uh, the, um, uh, the Navy used to have a lot more control. But they've lost it to Congress over the over the decades. Uh, and of course, even when the Navy had the control, they had fiascos in the 1930s with the torpedo, the infamous, as it were, torpedo, which the uh, Navy and the, and the politicians insisted was working, but didn't. And that cost us a lot, so to speak, and saved a lot of Japanese ships. It was probably one of the, the most critical, uh, uh, you know, uh, Japanese uh, naval weapons uh, that was embedded in the United States, <laughs> our defective torpedoes. Um, there is fears within the military that there are a lot more defective weapons which are being covered up, uh, simply because, you know, it's, it's political suicide for a, a senior uh, military officer uh, to basically make too much noise about some of these, these fiascos uh, because the, the Congress can be very vindictive. Uh, again, this is not a new problem. It's not a unique problem. Uh, corruption in military procurement, again, we, we reported this for over a decade, uh, uh, it's been around for thousands of years, and that's one reason you have old military truism, it's not a matter of who's better, it's who's worse. And fortunately, most of our foes are worse than we are, I'm talking about China and, uh, and Russia. Uh, but that's a hell of a way to, uh, you know, to calculate your strength, even though it's realistic. So what Trump could do about making <laughs> The, you know, uh, helping the, the armed forces is to make a serious attack on that. I'm kind of doubtful, if you will, because that will require the expenditure of an enormous amount of, of political capital that he'll need to get other things, you know, done. Uh, I don't think he much cares if he offends a lot of the defense industries that have been uh, doing this, and I'm sure he's getting an earful, uh, just judging from the people he's thinking of appointing, like Marine General, retired Marine General Mattis as the Secretary of Defense. Uh, Mattis has a lot of choice things to say. Most of them he hasn't said in public. Uh, but he understands it. I mean, the Marines do, because they basically get the Navy cast offs. Uh, whatever's left over. The Navy has much less left over for the, uh, Marines. And the Marines got burned, you know, by several procurement deals recently. Uh, and they'd love to see this reform. But again, you're basically asking the uh, disease to cure itself. Uh, so, you know, there it goes. As far as building the Navy and the Air Force, that, again, that's the problem. We have new ships and new aircraft, which are too expensive. That's why we only had three Seawolf uh, submarines instead of, you know, uh, you know, 40 or 50. That's why we only have three uh, uh, Zumwalt-class uh, uh, destroyers instead of, you know, 50 or 60. Um, and uh, why, you know, the F-22 and the V-2 uh, of limited quantities because it was simply too expensive to build as many as uh, were, were originally expected because it would mean there'd be nothing else. And this is not, again, this is nothing new. There's a guy called Augustine. Uh, he was a, a, a senior, he ran one of, I think, Martin Marietta, 
back in the 60s and 70s. And he wrote about it, especially after he retired. And he basically established Augustine's Laws, which put it in numbers. Uh, and everybody said, ha ha, isn't that funny? And of course, people in the Air Force said, God damn it, it's true. But there's nothing we can do about it. So what, 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 uh, what Trump could realistically do is redirect more money to training and maintenance of what we already have. We already have some of the best you know, weapons as it were in the world. Um, and uh, so, you know, and then of course Congress and the industry says, no, no, we need even better stuff. Well, that's another way of saying I need more money to get, get reelected again. Uh, uh, attacking that, that strategic problem is something that uh, is on the wish list, but we'll probably never get off the wish list. But as far as, you know, uh, getting more money to training and maintenance, I think that is easily doable. Austin, do you agree with that? Uh, yes, I do. Um, I mean, it's it's Im- it's impossible to agree with uh, to agree with the truth uh, in in these uh, situations. Uh, Dan, we need more training. We need more money in the in the maintenance budget, and yet at the same time, and Jim Jim said this. I'll I think I'll take a slightly different tack with it. We're in a situation where we are uh, phasing into uh, new weapon systems, modernized, highly capable weapon systems. Now, let me, uh, let me put a well but on highly capable. Jim talked about their costs. Uh, let's look at the zoom walt right now. The first zoom walt is on an extended shakedown cruise and it keeps breaking down. And we have the, uh, usual horror headlines about the problems the ship is having. In many ways, that, that's what goes on in a shakedown cruise. This is a first ship of the class and it is of it, of its class. And it is, um, it is an attempt to push uh, the technology, push naval technology. Uh, it's not really a destroyer, by the way. I mean, it's the si- it's the size of a cruiser, and it's it's huge, and it's um, it's it's got millions of systems on 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 board. Uh, I understand they've had those some problems with some of their with the uh, powertrain. That is a bad indicator, but it's not necessarily something that can't. Uh, 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 can't be fixed. Uh, we're in uh, the same thing with the F-35s. Now, I'm actually more concerned about F-35s than I am the Zoom wall right now, unless I learn learn something else that it's got fatal design flaws uh, in, in it or like. Um, lots of money's been poured into the F-35. Uh, we, you know, we've got three variants uh, of it. The F-35 uh, uh, B, which is the uh, vertical takeoff or short takeoff and vertical landing uh, a variant uh, for the Marines, is in min- it's a it is a aircraft that if it works gives the uh, U.S. forces uh, a, a a huge uh, huge edge uh, it, based on on amphibious assault ships or even uh, based uh, on land. You've got a aircraft with stealth and supersonic uh, cruise capability that can take off from not just a dirt strip but a parking lot. Uh, 
and it's uh, also has the the, the, the uh, situational awareness link in with all the other uh, uh, weapon weapon systems. It's a tr- it's just a, would be a tremendous asset. But we don't have it's not on schedule. It's way behind. And as Jim said, it's uh, he, di- he didn't quite put it this way, but it's sucking the uh, life blood money out of. Uh, out of other uh, programs, particularly uh, aircraft, uh, airframe programs. Uh, what do you do when you have laid, made such a heavy bet on a system? Well, you're into something that plays into what Jim was talking about when he talked about the military-industrial-congressional complex. The, the argument is made by congressional staffs, and there's a rationality for it. We've got to make it work. And you're left with, oh, but we had fellas telling you 15 years ago not to play such a heavy bet on it. There were other options. Littoral combat ship still has teething problems. And, uh, Jim, we've cut that, cut that back to what, 32 ships? Is that what's going to be bought instead of 50 years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the figure. It's actually, we've got a good, I ought to, I haven't looked at it, but we've got a good, there have been several good, Pieces on the electoral con- uh, combat ship up on on uh, strategy strategy page, but the numbers are in flux. We were going to have over fifty. Now I think it's back into the into the thirties. And the Al's talked about this. Uh, Jim's written about it. Uh, there's we need a holes in the navy to be the global navy that America needs. The littoral combat ship, it does not have the capabilities to do what a frigate does. And one of the choices out there, and fortunately these are not that expensive comparatively, especially comparing them to zoom walls, is taking a, a design that the Coast Guard has used. They're calling it a high-endurance frigate, but Jim wrote something, I know, 20 years ago about how you know, the U.S. Coast Guard, some of its larger uh, larger larger ships. They're essentially Navy ships. They just put the name Cutter on it because uh, that's what they're supposed to do. And the, the high-endurance Cutter design with uh, some uh, some changes, um, many uh, marine engineers, that's marine with a small N, uh, Dan, and uh, naval advocates, naval officers say this is what, this is really what we need. Something that we can put a sufficient number of anti-aircraft uh, and anti-submarine uh, systems on, uh, stick a, a five-inch gun on, uh, rather than the uh, 76 uh, uh, millimeter, uh, but something with five-inch guns so you can get some uh, uh, shore support uh, uh, out of it. And w- we can afford more of these, and then we have a ship that can also be uh, used if we have a uh, have to fight a war with a uh, with a more capable adversary. Now, more capable adversary—that's a euphemism in this case for China, uh, possibly uh, uh, possibly Russia. But uh, in other words, uh, the South China Sea is your likely uh, likely scenario for it. And uh, littoral combat ships just don't have the punch. Uh, there are some, and we've covered this on strategy page, there are some quick fixes, like putting uh, uh, new types of uh, 
uh, anti-ship missiles on the littoral combat ships. But we've got a we got a system that was seemed like a good idea as the Cold War ended and American dominance was just over overwhelming. Now we're in a situation where we have potential combat with near peers, and the Navy saying we don't don't have the hulls, and the hulls we have don't have have the systems. That's big money, Dan. But like Jim said earlier, and then when I went through on the F thirty five, we've invested in. And we've sunk costs in uh, in other systems. Does this get back to what to what uh, Jim said about maintenance and training? Only indirectly. One thing in new systems, once you've got them working, you hope you've got some reduction in in continuing maintenance costs because uh, 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 they're new. But it doesn't speak to the training issue at uh, at all. Uh, essentially, after two thousand eight, two thousand nine, you. you Training budgets lapsed. We've got we're in kind of a downgrading phase. The administration decided, Obama administration, they didn't at all foresee the rise of the Islamic State. Uh, to be fair, no one really did, but we knew that Al Qaeda had not disappeared after the uh, death of uh, Osama bin Laden. Uh, China, instead of responding to uh, Soft talk uh, still decides to press its claims in the uh, South the South China Sea, and that is a huge uh, that's a huge global global problem. China's uh, territorial demands, and heavens, even though it's been judged illegal by the uh, Law of the Sea uh, Tribunal, the, uh, the uh, UN Tribunal that uh, made the ruling in the Philippines' favor. China just has so much power, they're not going to back down. Therefore, the U.S. Navy is now regularly running, you know, freedom of navigation operations, FONOPs, to demonstrate our support for freedom of navigation. But to support freedom of navigation, Dan, you need a Navy that's capable of, uh, of uh, winning uh, combat in the uh, zone, uh, uh, zone of conflict. We do have that Navy now. China doesn't have the assets to take us on. That's also why we need modernization and the the right kind of right kind of ships. But we're stuck in, as Jim pointed out, the uh, the budget crunch. And uh, I'm not sure how Mr. Trump answers that. Though I have read a couple of pieces where he says he indicates he understands what the Navy situation the Navy situation is. Uh, if you wonder if General Flynn and uh, General Mathis uh, are uh, clued him in on uh, uh, on that issue, let me say something about the Army. Because you know I'm a I'm a I'm a ground pounder. I've got a number, and I've I've I gained this. I mean it's it's really it's what I call back of the en- envelope gaming about it. But we really need about another forty five thousand. Uh, troops now do the division. Uh, Austin, you're saying about three divisions, even though we now are, you know, deploying pretty much in, in brigade con- uh, combat teams. Look, we it takes almost three times the number of soldiers you have in order to sustain a deployment. If you're going to have a sustained deployment in Afghanistan, uh, and that is. <laughs> the 15,000 that are deployed, again, saying that 
three brigades plus. You've got the, the guys on the ground. You got the guys that you just brought back and uh, who are you're standing down. And then you got the guys who are going to replace the 15,000 now deployed who are training up. You got your up there and then you're, you're, uh, you're down. Now, in a, in a all out war, different kind of, uh, different, really different kind of situation, but you still have that training up, training up, uh, up tail in, in terms of, uh, 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 of manpower. Now, I, I don't, I don't see the budget. Uh, what I see in Congress now, uh, it may change with the Trump administration in terms of the executive uh, stance on this. I, I don't see any support for increasing the army by forty to fifty thousand uh, soldiers. Uh, I do see some uh, uh, thinking out there, articles occasionally saying that you know, no, it's not the number in forty or fifty. We're we're short about seventy five thousand. Uh, all right. But that's that's the on the ground on the ground uh, on the ground component, and uh, a largely and this is my I'm, I'm speaking in very general terms here. It's not just the manpower to get the army back up. You've got to get the training back up, as 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 Jim said. You've got to you've got to devote time, funds, and manpower to the uh, training component of combat preparation. In order to be effective when you when you deploy, now we're still good, but we have to stay good, and that's that's kind of where we are. I think, and Jim, do you think that's a fair assessment? We're in a position where we're going to have to work to stay good. Yes, yeah. uh, because the uh, the advantage you get from being well trained uh, can disappear very quickly. Uh, I I can't. Uh, I, I can't agree more. It's, it, it, I mean, it's a continual process, but we've, we've let it slide. And, uh, as you said, the slack is, is one of the indicators is, is the constant use of special forces, which haven't had a, a down in training. Jim, the, with the use of unmanned vehicles and like that, is there, are there options there that are going to re- reduce the budget costs of building some of these? platforms? Uh, yes, there are a lot of low, relatively low-cost um, uh, weapons uh, that are not popular in Congress because you don't get them votes. I mean, they're basically too damn cheap. Uh, but the military, uh, the Marines, the Army, uh, they are already you know, planning on using a lot more robots. I mean, for example, the Navy, I believe, uh, ran a test where they, uh, where they sent in a swarm you know, dozens of uh, lightweight, you know, small uh, UAVs ahead of a uh, marine landing force on a beach. You know, I don't know if they were coming in by helicopter or, or, or landing ship, landing ship, but it doesn't make any difference. Um, and the idea was these would uh, would find uh, low-lying, you know, difficult to detect targets. And, um, and of course, the Navy is building their their MQ-25, which is basically a uh, a carrier-based uh, attack aircraft, a bomber, uh, which they've already tested. They've gotten it to land under robotic control on a carrier, which is basically the the, the holy grail, as it were, of uh, of a UAV. Because that's one of the most difficult tasks, you know, and uh, naval aviators have to deal with. Um, 
and they would basically then follow up with the robotic, uh, uh, you know, bombers. And uh, and then, of course, once they they basically scrubbed <laughs> the, the landing zone um, uh, by basically getting in close, um, and uh, then they then they then the troops would come in, and there were fewer troops needed. Now the army's already pioneered this work in Afghanistan. And, uh, and Iraq, actually, you first saw it in 2001, late 2001. There were only about 300 special forces and CIA field agents, you know, on the ground. But that basically uh, defeated the Taliban in, uh, the Taliban government, um, in, uh, in Afghanistan. And, uh, you know, a lot of people said, ooh, why? Isn't that, isn't that cool? But basically the, the, the special forces and the CIA have been planning on, especially the special forces, have been planning on doing that for a long time. The CIA, for example, who's basically always worked closely with special forces, um, they pioneered the use of uh, UA, armed UAVs, you know, carrying the Hellfire missile. The Air Force didn't want any part of that, you know, because that means fewer jobs for a piloted aircraft, uh, expensive piloted, expensive air, piloted aircraft, much more expensive. So there's been a, a certain amount of institutional resistance. Uh, to it, and indeed, the <laughs> General Atomics, the company that pioneered the you know, the first successful American UAV, uh, leaning heavily on on uh, work the Israelis had done, you know, since the 70s, um, that is not one of your mainstream, you know, aircraft builders. Um, but they got they got a lot of work. I mean, in fact, and the people who pioneered the most effective uh, robots, uh, you know, especially for bomb disposal and, and checking out dangerous situations. Um, was uh, the outfit that makes robots, you know, the, the house cleaning robots. So, again, you see a pattern here. Again and again, the, the, if weapons, the new weapons that are most effective as far as the troops are concerned are not being, you know, uh, developed by the, 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 the main line, you know, the old school, as it were, uh, parts of the military industrial complex but by entrepreneurs who are basically looking more for civilian markets uh, than they are for military markets. Uh, and that is something, there's a there's a sometimes not so subtle bias in Congress against that. They have to be uh, dragged kicking and screaming. And you're seeing that again in, in space flight, where you have, you know, the guy who basically developed the uh, the Tesla, the guy, one of the guys who founded eBay, um, he's building rockets competitively with the, uh, you know, basically the NASA, you know, uh, traditional, uh, monopoly, and he's winning. And actually, there's two companies like that that are that are doing that. Entrepreneurial companies uh, that are building cheaper, uh, uh, more reliable, uh, you know, uh, rockets for uh, putting things into space. Um, and this is the wave of the future. And unfortunately, the, the the president doesn't like it. But again, that's nothing new. The idea of uh, you know crony capitalism uh, and people basically trying to lock in their monopoly. Uh, once they achieved it, is 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 ancient. I mean, it goes it goes back thousands of years. Uh, but again, you're seeing it in in in, in Silicon Valley, where you've got the conglomerates like you know uh, Google, uh, which have done a lot of good work, but they basically invested heavily in the you know in the losing candidate uh, in the in the recent presidential election because they knew who was basically willing to uh, uh, help them out. Uh, Trump is now <laughs> being cautiously approached by these behemoths uh, to see just how much slack he'll cut them. Hopefully, not much. Your take on uh, the unmanned vehicles, <clears throat> Austin? Yeah, just, I, I, um, 
uh, one personal level on this. I, I, I tour General Atomics, uh, manufacturing facility outside of San Diego. Gosh, when did I do that? Uh, oh, gosh, almost 20 years ago, I guess. But it was, it was fascinating. They really had a, like, you know, just a huge, one huge building with the predators being, Built out of fiberglass and just various states of uh, construction, and uh, it was, uh, as Jim says, low cost. And the manager who gave me gave me the tour says, you know, this is all it takes to do this. This is all it takes to do that. And I, I know why he was do uh, why he was doing it because he says, you know, we <laughs> we can build these things cheaply and quickly, and we don't need huge uh, machines uh, to do it, even though they had, you know. Robots doing some of the man, uh, manufacturing. It was a very, uh, uh, very cost cost effective uh, manufacturing plan they had. Look, Air Force 2005. I got I got a briefing from a Air Force colonel who had written a white paper in the mm, actually late 1990s on integrating unmanned aerial. Uh, vehicles in, uh, into uh, strike uh, uh, strike warfare, and standing there, he talked me through what it would be like. And he was using an F twenty two as the platform. He said you could do, do that because of the avionics, electronics on board that uh, could uh, communicate with a swarm of unmanned uh, uh, aerial strike vehicles that are accompanying this. Uh, Single F-22 or two or, or two F-22s, and you're, some of them in the in the swarm, he said, are decoys with decoy information to you know to to blind uh, enemy air, air defenses or confuse them or make them look like they're the uh, uh, they're the uh, banned aircraft. Some of the accompanying uh, drones, again, they're really unmanned air, 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 aerial vehicles, uh, are uh, are bombs. They're non-manned kamikazes. You know, they're cruise, essentially high-speed hypersonic uh, uh, cruise missiles. And then, in the context of the of, of the of, of his discussion and, and his, his 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 briefing on this, he says, of course, at some point they could become uh, uh, a drone operating solely on themselves when they're in the final uh, final attack phase. Of, a, of of taking out a, a target, and it, it, the argument is is that you have human beings still in the loop because the unexpected happens. And here's the big what if with all the robotics, Dan. What if they're hacked? What do you do? All right. Same thing with Navy with all these uh, its various uh, robotics. I'm I'm intrigued by some of the undersea bots. That uh, I've I've read about uh, essentially uh, a, a U.S. nuclear attack submarine having a covey of accompanying uh, little uh, robotic robotic submarines that can go out on on reconnaissance missions that can look for mines that can even launch attacks uh, on their own. I mean. Uh, all of these are possible, and some of them already uh, already exist. They they incorporate, as I understand it, some of the sensor technology that you've seen with the various undersea robots that are used when there's a, a wreck 
or to work on uh, oil rigs or to inspect undersea pipelines and, and the like. So there's a lot of civilian and commercial technology that's being uh, applied to this, and it, and it works. But once again, what if they're hacked? Might be harder to hack than the aerial systems, but they could be. Also, Army. Uh, I watched a video uh, maybe about five months ago on the web that showed uh, two soldiers. They really weren't in complete, you know, tactical as if they were engaged in an assault. assault. But they were accompanied by one uh, wheeled robot with a light machine gun on it. And then you could see in the... In the back, there was another robot that had a light machine gun and looked like it had a 40-millimeter grenade launcher as well. It didn't follow through uh, completely with the video. And and what the video was portraying is a, a, an a infantry assault accompanied by, uh, by a, a robot. Now, is that the future? Well, in some ways, it could be the present. Uh we already use them to uh, uh, look for mines, uh, to gain in, gain intelligence. You can obviously, uh, we've even deployed an armed uh, similar robot uh, uh, in, a, in Afghanistan. What if they're hacked? Now, one of the answers on this in a in a in a, a discussion that I was privy to eight or nine years ago about ground systems was, well, that's why we would you know, have a tra- little fiber trail. And they were aware of that, of that German, uh, somebody brought, I mean, like a little German robotic mine, except it had a, uh, it trailed a wire and a guy controlled it and it brought the uh, high explosives up to the, to either to blow out a mine field or to attack an American defensive position. Okay, yeah, that makes it tougher to hack, but what, when you've got an extended fiber like that, it, now you're back to the situation in World War One. what was the problem with telephone wires? A barrage, high explosive, breaks the connection. Right, you've got the onboard connection, and fine, you go back to uh, 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 Wi-Fi radio, radio control. Could it be? So... This is where, talk about multidimensional war, where cyber warfare has, is directly part of the, of the tactical battlefield. The possibility of you deploying robots. I mean, it already is in terms of communications and dealing with satellite information and blocking out the ability to communicate with, uh, support air, uh, air support. But hey, if I stop their, stop their robots, I've cut out and this guy's 40% of their assault power with the uh, armored, little armored robots with the machine guns, a company infantry. So, uh, I'm not trying answers here. I'm talking to you, think, using a scenario through some of the problems that these uh, cheaper, fascinating, they can't systems. So, attack too, hacked. So. Well, this is that which is already a happy uh guided weapons had a fallback uh not you know torpedoes for example post-world war ii torpedoes uh you can have a fallback 
uh, army uh, options. Of course, in some days they're quite sophisticated. Basically, the uh, fallback is, you know, uh, if it looks likely, and we're talking, this is all on board, which means much more impossible to hack. Uh, uh, they basically go ahead to the alternate target, which might be the original target, uh, or they might just, you know, self-destruct. Uh, which is important. We do, like, we do do that with, with, with cruise missiles. The way be. I know that. I know. Exactly. And the, and the swarms they're talking about now, they've already got that built in. They don't talk about it because <laughs> you don't want the enemy to come up with deal with that. Because now we're dealing with, you know, computers playing, you know, chess with each other, as it were. Um, but yes, you're right. That's the future. But the whole problem of hacking, it <laughs> goes back to World War II. That all began over uh, Germany during the strategic bombing offensive. We covered that many times in the in strategy page about how it all goes right back to World War II. We tend to forget that. Um, Jim, it goes back to, to World War One and the idea that hacking came because Brits used axes to hack German uh, telegraph undersea telegraphic. No, no, wait, wait a minute. I'm talking about electronically. All right, all right. What they were doing in World War II was electronics, you know, basically uh, hacking electronics. Yes, they were still the old-fashioned, you know, they, they go back to school. They have to, okay, to cut down their telegraph lines. But no, I'm saying the whole of, um, of basically uh, befuddling, as it were, uh, the enemy uh, communications, wireless communications, or their programming, uh, yes, that is the future, but the future is already here. Uh, and, and of course, they got to be quiet about that because that's one of those secrets the enemy wants to know about. Because if they do know about it, then they can basically uh, better, you know, deal with it. Um, uh, as I pointed out, you know, intelligence uh, is has become a critical, uh, you know, aspect of, of, of warfare and. Uh, and we should probably pay more attention to that. Well, look, look, the Air Force, the, the Air Force officer that was noted that, you know, I, I only put it in a point where he said, you know, it reaches a point that they for uh, completely autonomously once it's got the uh, end of that it, it's it's a job. The thing is, if that fiddled with in terms of being able to and and uh, and, and hack, and if they have to self destruct. If they have to self-destruct, you're losing part of your combat capability. And it's almost like uh, you, they've sniped and picked off five or six guys out of, a, out, of, out of your platoon. You've still got a platoon, but for you know, success, successful electronic warfare, hacking like this, they've now taken uh, sprawl bombs out of, out, out, uh, out of the swarm or up a robot that's supporting my uh, in, in, infantry and they haven't stopped everything and but we've now got a problem and again it is like it maybe sniping is is the way to, to, to do it i'm not saying they're stopping everything jim I, the question is, is losing combat power no no my point is nothing new the problem is are you addressing enough resources to deal with this new form of warfare? At warfare, the Air Force and the Navy, the pilots, as it were, has been very aggressive, less so recently in the last five, ten years, uh, in, in opposing the, um, uh, the robotic aircraft. In other words, basically the robotic fighter. Now, tests were conducted with remotely piloted 
aircraft in the 1970s. And it was discovered that in the 70s, with an, a, with an F-4 fighting an F, a piloted F-4 fighting an unpiloted F-4, the piloted F-4 was at a big disadvantage. Uh, and 40 years ago, it's only gotten worse. Right. So the yeah, thing I, is, I re- are you, are you going to put more money into the future or into the past? Yeah, I, I remember uh, re- reading about that, too, because I think they were using the, the unpiloted, they in one of those... RFQs, the uh, exactly. force, yeah, yeah. to use that, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That one of their target, and then decide to experiment with it as if it were a weapons platform. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're at the end of our time. Uh, sort of like uh, William Gibson said, the future is here. It's just not evenly distributed. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Uh, well, we'll wrap it up there, and we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye, guys.